0: Well, hello there, and welcome to the good old days of radio show. This is John Tefteller, your host. It is uh, Tuesday, and on Tuesdays, we do comedy usually, sometimes drama, but usually comedy. And We have a very special guest today. Before I introduce that special guest, I'm going to say a few things here. As many of you know, some of you know and some of you don't because this is an old-time radio show, I have been collecting phonograph records since I was about eight years old. When I was about eight years old, uh, my grandmother had a wind-up Victrola, actually it was a Brunswick machine, in her garage, and eight-year-old me discovered that wind-up and discovered the records that were in the cabinet of it. Uh, They weren't anything particularly special. It was a 1923 Brunswick machine that she had gotten as a wedding present. And along with the machine came a stack of records, which were basically the biggest records of 1923. The one I remember liking the most was a novelty record by the Great White Way Orchestra called Yes, We Have No Bananas, with vocals by Billy Murray. And that apparently was a very big selling record back then, and she had a copy of that, and then she had some Enrico Caruso and some other stuff. But it was the Yes We Have No Bananas side that attracted my attention the most, and I thought it was pretty cool, and I played those records over and over again. By the time I got to about 10 or 12 years old, I thought there must be more records out there than just uh, the- these, and so I had my father take me to thrift stores, uh, the Goodwills and Salvation Armies, and started looking for records. Didn't really know what I was looking for, but I knew I liked the novelty comedy-type records. Around this same time, which would have been the early 1970s, about 1972, 73, Uh, I discovered radio in Southern California, where we were living. And uh, somebody somewhere said, listen to this man on Sunday evenings on KMET. He has a great collection of novelty-type records, and you'll, you'll find those amusing. I don't know if it was somebody at school or somebody somewhere told me to do this. And so I found The Dr. Demento Show on KMET. And I got to listen to all kinds of great, funny novelty records on that show. And it inspired me even further to go out and hunt down more things, I soon found that one of my favorites was Stan, uh, Stan Freeberg and Spike Jones, and so I started hunting for those. I found a whole run of them at Winsel's Music Town in Downey, California, and bought them for the princely sum of about 75 cents apiece. Maybe it was a dollar, but it wasn't much because I didn't have much money back then. But anyway, I continued collecting records, continued listening to Dr. Demento, and at some point when I was about, I think, 13 or 14, I actually started recording some of the records that I had that I didn't hear on his program and mailing in a cassette of those to him at KMET. And soon, not too long after I mailed them in, I got some very nice little notes and letters back from the good doctor, thanking me for submitting the cassettes and saying, hey, you could you could instead of putting the microphone in front of the speaker, you might want to get a little plug and plug it into the back so you get, get me a little bit better quality so maybe I could use some of these on the air. So I did that, and I sent him more cassettes, and he very kindly responded each time. In 1977, And a lot of you know who listened to this show. I worked for Groucho Marx between 1975 and 1977. And in 1977, when Groucho passed away, Dr. Demento invited me on his show to do a little tribute to Groucho, which I did. And I still have that tape after all these years. And now it's almost 50 years later, and I'm inviting Dr. Demento onto my show. So here we are with special guest, Dr. Demento, welcome to the Good Old Days of Radio Show.
1: Hello there.
0: <laughs> Is it wind up your radios? <laughs> yeah. Woo, oh,
2: oh, wind up your radio.
0: Yay. And you got to blow your little horn, but you don't have that handy probably, but that's okay. That's Everybody remembers that. What? I'm in my kitchen, actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we got the wind up your radio in there. That's good. All right. So anyway, that's a little bit of my background, uh, Dr. D, which you may or may not know all of that, but I thought you'd find it a little interesting for me to spill that out there. I remember most of it. Okay. Well, yeah, you, you, you inspired me, and I will always be thankful for that, and I've kind of gone off in a different direction from novelty records. I've gone off into rare blues records and vintage radio shows, but I still love the old novelty stuff, too.
1: All right. I I love blues
0: too. Yeah, I know you do. You had some some nice ones in your collection too. So, we are here today to talk about first for for this particular show, Spike Jones and the City Slickers. Now, I'm not a great historian of Spike Jones and the City Slickers. I know I have a lot of their records. I know a little bit about them, but I'm going to let you say what you want to say about Spike Jones and how maybe he inspired or influenced you.
1: Well, uh uh Spike Jones inspired me because my dad, when I was four years old, uh, brought home a copy of a record that was brand new at the time, Cocktails for Two, which was one of Spike's biggest hits. And uh, I-, I loved it right away, and I loved the other side, too, leave the dishes in the sink, Ma. Uh, it was peppy and uh, had sound effects, <laughs> uh, uh, everything a four-year-old would like, I guess.
0: Great, so you heard that at, f- at four years old.
1: Yes, when it when it was brand new and I was almost brand new myself.
0: You were almost brand new. Yeah, 4 yeah. years old. Wow. Yeah. And you beat me. I started at 8, you started at 4. So that's uh, that's good.
1: Yeah, well, I, I, it was I was about 8 before I started actually buying records myself.
0: Ah, okay. So we're on a similar track there.
1: Yes. <laughs> but but uh, when father found out how much I liked the uh, cocktails for two, he bought several more Spike Jones 78s.
0: So more started invading your house.
1: Yeah, we, we probably had a oh, 07 or 08 of them by, by the time I was 10.
0: Did you ever um, hear the Spike Jones radio show when you were young?
1: Uh, yes, a few times, yes. I wasn't a really regular listener because my, my parents still controlled the radio.
0: <laughs> Maybe they wanted to listen to Jack Benny instead or something.
1: Yeah, or or classical music. My my folks were mainly classical music lovers.
0: Oh, and they allowed Spike Jones in your house, huh? Oh yes. Well, that's good. They were they were yep. diverse enough. Yes. So can you? I mean, I could do this, but you're the guest here. Can you explain a little bit to somebody who's listening to this who has no clue what Spike Jones was? Can you explain a little bit about Spike Jones to people?
1: Well, uh. He had worked in the music business as a studio drummer. He was a, a very fine drummer, probably the best uh, on-call studio drummer for up-tempo pop music and jazz in, in Los Angeles, in Hollywood. So he appeared on a good many records, even as, even things like the, the first take of Bing Crosby's White Christmas, where you can barely hear him at all, uh, to other things uh, where, where he's more prominent, like a, a couple of Fred Astaire records, where he plays little drum solos while Fred Astaire tap dances. And, and, and then around 1940, uh, Spike realized that some of his drinking buddies uh, might like to form a band playing funny music. And so he, he formed Spike Jones and his City Slickers. Uh, actually, he had a band in, in, uh, in earlier called Spike Jones and his Five Tacks. But uh, uh, the City Slickers were formed about 1940, uh, with Del Porter was in there from the beginning, and uh, several others. And uh, uh, he signed a contract to record for Bluebird Records in 1941.
0: Okay, and uh, his first big record was what? Uh,
1: Der Fuhrer's Face which uh-huh.
2: was the first really big
0: one. And that's what I thought you were going to say. And because yeah. you said that, and because that is correct, I have a little surprise for you, which I have something here that I think you have not heard. Um, okay. This is a little excerpt from the Bob Burns show. Um, I'm not sure if anybody remembers Bob Burns, but they called him the Arkansas Traveler, and he had this kind of rural hillbilly type radio show, which was kind of uh, an attempt at being funny. And it wasn't too bad, but the orchestra for the show was Spike Jones and the City Slickers. And oh, huh. this little excerpt is from 1943. It's January 28, 1943. And we're going to listen to Spike and the City Slickers do a live version of Der Fuhrer's face. So here we go
3: it's just too bad that hitler couldn't have gone down there to see how we do things in this country <laughs> of course hitler couldn't make it he's kind of busy now hitler's up in berlin he's writing a sequel to, to that book he wrote Mein Kampf, and now he's writing a book about the about the russian offensive and the name of that book's going to be Mind headache <laughs> Uh, you know that, uh, that of course, uh, course, Hitler just made a mistake there when he opened up that Russian front. Because uh, uh, Hitler's got an astrologer, you know, and the best astrologer in Germany, too. And this astrologer always tells Hitler just exactly what, you know, what to do. And uh, the astrologer made just one little mistake when he told Hitler about opening up the Russian front. He forgot to tell Hitler that the Russian bear is the only bear in the world that don't hibernate in the wintertime.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now,
3: now, of course, thank you. Although Hitler wasn't able to be there, we, we don't want him to think that we ain't been thinking about him all the time. So tonight, Spike Jones and his city slickers are going to dedicate a number to it. This is the number that spike and his boys have made famous and I might say the number hasn't done spike Jones the city sectors any harm either I'm talking about their Fuhrer's face honestly you'd be surprised how many requests we've had for spike to play that number again I think pretty near everybody's requested it but Hitler the, the lyrics the lyrics are going to be handled by Carl Grayson go ahead spike <laughs>
4: He is the master race. We hail, hail! Right in the Führer's face, not to laugh the Führer. This a great disgrace. So we hail, hail! Right in the Führer's face. When her Goebbels says we own the world in space, we hail, hail! Right in her Goebbels' face. When her Goering says they'll never bomb this place, we hail. He he right in her growing face Are we not the, the Superman? Alien Pure Superman Yeah, we are for Superman Super duper Superman Is this Nazi <laughs> land so good? Would you leave it if you thought? Yeah, this Nazi land is good We would leave it if we could We bring the world to order <laughs> While Hitler's world new order <laughs> Every one of foreign race we love the Führer's face when we bring to the world this order. When the Führer says, he is the master race. we right in the Führer's face not to love the Führer. He's a great disgrace, so we Be hoil! the Führer's face. right in the face. <laughs>
0: Nineteen forty-three.
1: Excellent. That that show didn't really have uh, outside of the first half of My Old Flame that that did not have a non-comic relief number in it. Like no. Spike Jones. Most of the Spike shows did.
0: If you start finding these things, you find some really interesting musical numbers, some of which were made into records and some of which weren't. But there's yeah. a lot of Spike Jones stuff that never made it to record that's performed on his various radio appearances, and they're really fun.
1: Yeah, because the Petrillo Band was happening at that time.
0: Yes, um, explain when, that to people, because they won't uh, know what you mean.
1: Yeah, well, James C. Petrillo was the president of the Musicians' Union, which was very powerful at that time. And uh, musicians really needed to be in good standing with the union uh, in order to perform live uh, all, all through the USA. So uh, Petrillo decided he, uh, he he needed a better deal from the record companies that he was getting. So effective in, in uh, towards the end of '42, he forbade all his union musicians to make records. So... Virtually no new records were recorded in the USA involving uh, musical instruments for about two years, right in the the heat of World War II. Uh, Forty-three, I think, strike was finally settled in 44. And so you had a few records were made with just choral accompaniment, like uh, Frank Sinatra recorded several, and Dick Hames, other popular singers, would record just with with a, a chorus or a, I think they could use harmonicas because uh, Petrillo didn't consider uh, harmonicas to be legitimate musical instruments.
0: <laughs> These musicians, like Spike Jones and the others, uh, they found a lot of work on radio at that point because they couldn't yeah,
1: make records. That's right. Yeah, so all through 40, 43 and 44.
0: Okay. And for people who are, that was their. F- listening to this now, and this is your first time you've ever heard Spike Jones, uh, you can see kind of what he does. He makes fun of someone or something, some song, some popular piece of music, uh, makes a satire of it, similar to what uh, Weird Al Yankovic does today.
1: Yeah, uh, Spike loved to make fun of classical music, because classical musicians. Uh, classical music was a a huge part of the record industry at that time, much bigger than today. The classical music accounted for about 45% of record sales, at least in terms of money, uh, in, in the
0: 1940s. Yeah, it sure seems like it, because there's tons of them around, even now, from the 1940s. Yeah. So, Yeah, well, and, and Spike uh, would lampoon everything. Um, yeah, and he continued that all the way up until uh, his death. Although he did have a serious orchestra that made some records as well.
1: Yeah, which didn't sell very well. <laughs> no other orchestra.
0: Yeah, D- one little factoid here that I'll throw at you because I'm not sure you're aware of this. Um, Spike was married to Helen Greco. If you watch the Marx Brothers film A Night at the Opera, there is the scene on the boat where Chico and Harpo do their piano and harp solos. And if you watch that film, there's a little girl standing behind them at all times. That's Helen Greco. Oh, wow. So you I might, thought... might next time those that film comes your way, you might want to tune into that segment, and you can see Helen Greco as a little girl standing there watching Chico shoot the keys and Harpo play the harp.
1: Yeah, well, I... I, I knew Helen slightly. She passed away recently, I believe.
0: Yes. Okay, well, we're going to skip ahead a little bit to, from 1943 to 1948, and we're actually going to listen to an entire uh, program now of Spike Jones and the City Slickers. It is one of the Coca-Cola programs that I mentioned earlier. Uh, this particular one has Peter Laurie as the guest, oh. and um, they, they do a particular song related to Peter Laurie, which I'm sure you'll know what that is, uh, and they do a lot of other things as well. So I think you'll find this amusing. It's from December 10th, 1948. So we'll listen to this uh, together, and then maybe we'll have some things to say about it when it's done. How's that?
1: Yeah, and and this was all... Recorded live, wasn't it? All all in one take, straight through.
0: Correct. As was the Der Fuhrer's face that you just listened to. Yes, it's from a yeah. live live radio show. One take, no, no going back. You do what you do and it works or it doesn't. So yes, correct. Yeah. Okay. December tenth, nineteen forty eight, the Spike Jones Coca-Cola show with special guest, Peter Laurie. <laughs>
5: Coca-Cola Company presents Spotlight Review, starring Spike Jones and the City Slickers, and Dorothy Shea, the Park Avenue Hillbilly, with Doodles Weaver as Professor Fiedelbaum and George Rock. And our special guest for tonight, the eminent screen star, Peter Laurie. And here are Spike Jones and Dorothy Shea.
6: Hiya, Dottie. Hiya, Spike. Say, those sure are some outfits you and the boys are wearing tonight.
7: Oh, thanks, but wait till you see the next one I'm having made. It has an orange and blue plaid coat with yellow neon buttons and a rhinestone vest with blonde mink pockets. (laughs) Not to mention lavender-striped trousers with green Angora cuffs.
6: (laughs) All you need with that outfit is a pair of purple shoes. What do you want me to do, look ridiculous? (laughs) Spike, the only man I know whose clothes can outshout yours is my Uncle Fudd. Last time I saw him, he was wearing feathers. Feathers? Yes, he thought he was a chicken.
7: Well, didn't your aunt try to talk him out of it?
6: Oh, no, she needed the eggs. <laughs>
7: <laughs> well, here's one she can add to her collection. It's the City Slickers version of After You've Gone. <laughs> To. Not at all. Goodbye. Fellas, we got a request to play. I get a kick out of you. Who from? Errol Flynn. <laughs> Thank you, music lovers. (laughs) Fellas, that was truly the kind of music that soothes the savage beast. And one of these days, I'm gonna let you play for people.
6: Spike, I haven't heard anything so moving since last week's earthquake. Well, thank you, Dottie. I think you should get to
7: know some of the great artists in my band. For instance, uh, George Rock. George, I want you to meet Dorothy
4: Shea.
6: What musical instrument do you play in Spike's band?
8: I am the second pistol shot.
9: (laughs) Someday, I hope to become the first
2: pistol
7: shot. Well, George, to become the first pistol shot, you have to practice more.
4: Oh, I do practice.
2: Crist <laughs> <stanchos>, and Loados,can and Farissimo
6: What bands did you play with before you joined Spike?:
2: Well, I was uh, Tommy Darse <laughs> Yes. Henry Bu <Butsy, laughs> Yes.
7: Thing you didn't say, Charlie. <laughs> that's really polishing the old apple tree, Dorothy. And now, ladies and oh, gentlemen, bike, we turn to it's me, Professor Fiedelbaum. <laughs> Professor, that's certainly a beautiful flower you're wearing in your lapel. It's a
9: present from my father, who happens to be one of the world's greatest horticulturalists He's <laughs> a one? Horticulturalist. Thank you. He experiments with flowers all day long. Why, he could grow anything. But sometimes I wish I could have had a mother.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Professor. <laughs>
7: <laughs> Professor, you mean to say you never had a mother?
9: I told you my father could grow anything. <laughs> if any young girls want me, I'm very easy to take care of. All you have to do is water me twice a week. <laughs>
7: You must be kidding
9: I wish I were My life has been very sad I've had a lot of trouble growing up Why, When I was 14, I started to blossom out What's wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with that? Other boys were growing beards I was growing blossoms <laughs> <laughs> But before I go to seed <clears throat> I'd like to hit, uh, sing the hit tune of the day La Lagusta I believe I'm in voice <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> Indubitably in voice Music maestro if you've got the nerve <laughs> Oh, pardon me, I want to sleep. <laughs> Maybe I better start somewhere else. <laughs> we gotta get going. Where are we going and what are we gonna do? We're on our way to somewhere. I'll be on my way back to Hermosa if I don't put a joke in here soon. (laughs) Here's a joke. Once upon a time, there were two Irishmen. Now there are more. (laughs) (laughs) The three of us and you. What'll we see there? Who will be there? What'll be the big surprise? Is this a song or a quiz show? Ooh, no, no. (laughs) There may be senoritas with dark and flashing eyes. We're one RA. Uh, we're way out one uh, All out done uh, Have some fun I'm a bum No, no, I'm not a... <laughs> Speaking of bums A man came out to me today And said, uh, can you lend me a dime For a cup of coffee? I said, coffee's only a nickel He says, yes, but I have a date <laughs> 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 we're,
2: <laughs>
9: we're on our way Pack up your tooth Tooth?
2: All I want for Christmas Is my tooth from teeth <laughs>
9: tooth from Wrong song
2: <laughs>
9: <laughs> we're on our way, pack up your pack And if we stay, we won't come back That's logical Up <laughs> <laughs> can we go, we haven't got a dime But we're going and we're going to have a happy time Here we go again When I sing this song, I get as tired as if I'd run a mile race a mile race, and there they go. <laughs> it's Venus just in fun. Jaime Fink is flashing. Gaines Machine is second. Ray Gilbert and Toothpaste is being squeezed out on the rail. Cut <laughs> <laughs> the brush off. We're going, and we're gonna have a happy time. Quoddy Gustav. How about you? Are you tuned up? Yes, I'm tuned up. Are you tuned up? Sure, I'm tuned up. Then I guess we're both tuned up.
6: Hey, uh, what's going on here? (laughs) Sounds like they just came in for a (laughs) tune-up.
9: You know us, Mr. Jones. We're Morgan and Morgan banjo players.
6: Banjo players?
9: Sure, you know. Plunk, plunk, plink, plink. I do the plunk plugs.
7: What about your partner?
9: Boy, does he play! <laughs> you should hear our version of Art Mooney's I'm Looking Over a Four Leaf Clover.
6: What do you call it?
9: I'm peeking under an old cucumber. <laughs>
7: <laughs> That's better than perusing a black eyed Susan, but I happen to know, fellas, that your best number is a fast and furious two banjo arrangement of the good old Tiger Rag. Jazzy. I was tied rag otherwise known as Bengals and Bows, and now here is Dick Joy.
5: Wherever people get together for good times, at games, parties, picnics, parks, at the movies, the circus, or any sort of festive gathering, there's one thing you'll find, and that's ice cold Coca-Cola. The familiar red cooler invites pleasure seekers everywhere to have a Coke and play refreshed.
6: Spike, what are you and the City Slickers going to do New Year's Eve?
7: We're going to celebrate, Dottie. To us, that's the greatest of all holidays.
6: How do you figure that out?
7: New Year's Eve is the one night the boys in my band can complain about other people's noise. <laughs> and now we go to the musical depreciation department. As Dick Baldwin and the City Slickers turn the pilot light on under my old flame, the voice you hear impersonating a certain well-known movie star will be that of Paul Frees. My
10: flame, I can't even think of her name, and it's funny now and then how my thoughts go flashing back again to my old flame. I've met so many who had fascinating ways Fascinating gaze in their eyes Some who lift you up to the skies But their attempts at love Were only imitations of my. can't even think of her name, and I'll never be the same until I find out just what became of my old plan.
8: even think of her name. I'll have to look through my collection of human heads. <laughs> but it's funny now and then how my thoughts go flashing back again to my old flame. My old flame. My my new lovers all seem so tame. <laughs> they, they won't even let me strangle them. For I haven't met a girl so magnificent or elegant as my old flame. I've met so many who had fascinating ways, a fascinating gaze in their eyes. I saw this eye, so I removed the other eye. That eye that kept winking and blinking at other men. It was making me. I was going. It was so. I was. Some who took me up (laughs) to the skies. But their attempt at love were only imitations of my old flame. I can't even think of her name. What, what, what's her name? Doris, Laura, Chloe, M- Manny, Moe, Jack, it was, it. No, it couldn't have been Moe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't stand this, I tell you. I, this is driving me sane. I'm going, this was, I you... <laughs> She would always treat me, me. So I poured the can of gasoline and struck a match too. My poor
6: That was terrific. The way Paul Fries did that number, I almost thought it was Peter Lorre himself.
7: Say, do you think it'll make Peter Lorre mad? What are you worrying about? Well, he's a real scary guy. Everybody at Warner Brothers is scared of him. Who, for instance? Well, uh, Sidney Greenstreet, just to name a few. <laughs>
6: <laughs> well, if you want to know how Peter Lorre feels about it, just ask him. He's standing right in back of you.
11: Pardon me, I use pook, Jones. <laughs> Please don't be scared, Spook. I, I like you very much. I think that imitation of me was just wonderful.
6: You see, Spike, there's nothing to worry about.
11: Oh, I think you should be immortalized. You know what? I'll have your footprints put in a cement at Grauman's Chinese.
7: Oh, that's wonderful. What time should I be there?
11: Well, oh, you don't have to be there. I'll just take your feet. <laughs>
6: I'm not really angry about my old flame.
11: Angry. Oh no, no, i I really loved it, especially when he said i I saw his eye, so so I removed the other eye. I oh, removing another eye it it, it just did something to me.
2: <laughs> mm.
11: What did it do? It scared me. <laughs> oh I like that. You know, spooky boy. <laughs> Spook Jones, that's a beautiful name. <laughs> you know, spooky man. We too have a lot in common. We have? Yes. What you do to music, I do to people. <laughs> in fact, I'm going to insist to have you and your orchestra in my next picture.
6: What picture is that?
11: Oh, it's a beautiful picture. It's called Kiss the Blood of My Band.
7: <laughs> yeah, great. Instead of sheet music, we'll have our arrangements printed on Band-Aids. <laughs> um, <laughs> say, Pete, I'd like to hear my old flame done by the real Peter Lorre.
11: Oh, yes. Oh, I love to do it, but uh, I have my own version.
7: Well, that's fine. A little music, fellas. Something appropriate for Mr. Laurie, please. Okay.
11: Oh, no, no, not that. No, that, that's too gay. I can't do it. Get...
7: <laughs> <laughs> okay, fellas. My old flame.
11: My old flame. I can't even think of her name. No, I, I can't think of her name. No, I, Oh, yes, yeah, she, she had no name. My, my old flame was a hot foot. <laughs> oh yes, I. I was a struggling young scientist trying to get ahead, and every night I'd go out and get one. Well, one night I was washing my hands, getting ready for the greatest experiment of my career, when my associate, Professor Spikenstein, said, uh,
7: Yeah, yeah, are you through with washing your hands, Er Dr. Laurie? Yes.
11: <laughs> yes, Professor Spikenstein, I'm through washing my hands. Are you through washing your hands? Yes, Herr Laurie. I'm through washing mine hands. All right, then what are you waiting for? Pile them all up in this basket and let's go into the laboratory. <laughs> Look, tonight we are working on a new project. I've got an order for two dozen monsters from the May Company. What does their May Company want with two dozen monsters? They are running a monster sale. <laughs> Okay, I, I wonder why my new assistant hasn't arrived
7: Your new assistant? Dr. Lieber What happened to your old assistant? Huh?
11: I killed him Holy smokes Why? 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 I, I needed a little relaxation <laughs> everybody? Oh, it was beautiful I shot him 50 times And then I stabbed him 75 times And, and then I threw him over a thousand foot cliff oh, But was he beautiful. can't be dead I just spoke to him on the phone did he answer you? Now, did you mention it? No. I think I hear someone at the door. Big door. It's Dorothy.
6: Bad evening, everyone.
11: Professor Spakenstein, uh, this is my new assistant, Dorothy Dracula, Shade, direct from the coconut grave. <laughs>
7: <laughs> yeah, for a minute I thought it was your ghoul friend.
11: Mmm, what an exotic odor! Oh, what is that you're wearing, Madame?
6: My favorite perfume, Formaldehyde Number Five. <laughs>
7: Yeah, yeah, what a girl. She's lovely. She's engaged. She uses
11: embalming fluid. Please, please, let's be serious for a moment and create a monster, shall we?
6: The operating table is ready, gentlemen.
11: All right, let's go. Suture. Suture. Uh, scalpel. Scalpel. Fossips. Forceps. Draino. Drano. Sponge. Sponge. Another sponge. Another sponge. Mop. Bucket. Ah. <laughs> The operation is over.
6: It's a success. The monster yes. is opening his eyes. He's
11: yes, going to speak. Is it the man?
6: Is it a plane?
11: Is it a bird? It's been over.
2: His
10: old
2: flame.
10: He, he can't even think of
2: her name. Her name.
8: She he would always treat him mean. So he poured a, a can, can of gasoline... gasoline. And struck
7: a
6: match, match.
11: too. Ah! Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> he
6: is oh. Old flame.
5: This is Dick Joy speaking for the Coca-Cola Company, saying whoever you are, whatever you do, wherever you may be, when you think of refreshment, think of Coca-Cola. For Coca-Cola makes any pause the pause that refreshes. And ice-cold Coca-Cola is everywhere. Highlight review when Spike Jones and Dorothy Shea will have Ralph, Truth or Consequences, Edwards as their guest, and this Sunday and every Sunday hear the pause that refreshes on the air with Percy Faith and his orchestra and songs by Jane Froman over the same CBS station. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: Okay, imagine that coming over the airwaves every week and into your living room.
1: Yes, <laughs> what fun!
0: Yeah, that 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 show was magnificent. You got little yeah. bits of all kinds of Spike things in there.
1: Yeah, and cl- most of them uh, he never recorded commercially. Like after you've gone, Quanto Lagusta Tiger Rag.
0: They 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 talked at the beginning about his costumes. Can you say a little bit about the costumes that Spike and the City Slickers wore?
1: Well. Uh, Spike uh, wore. He, he liked to wear loud, checkered suits. Uh, that's about all I can tell you.
0: Okay. Well, basically, the whole band would come out dressed outrageously, and then they would do all these outrageous things. Um, this this Coca Cola program was done actually while they were on tour, all over the country, appearing in different different clubs and, yeah, and that's venues. Right. Yeah. And they would broadcast from a different location each week. They didn't say where they were for this one. I think they were in Hollywood for this one. But uh, there are other shows where they're live from Boston and live from Ohio and different places. And yeah. they would put on a stage show, uh, which would be, I guess, would run about an hour uh, and do all kinds of stuff. And then once once a week, they would stop and do this this radio program from wherever they were. And it included a bunch of the things in the stage act and whatever – recordings they were planning on making or not making in these cases. My Old Flame made it to record, but the other things they yeah. did on here did not. This yeah. pa- this particular one comes from the Spike Jones estate, uh, and it sounded beautiful. They did a, a nice, beautiful transfer of that, so we could enjoy it now. Uh, yeah. In fact, I've, I've had word that the Spike Jones estate is going to be releasing at some point this year, they think, all of the Coca-Cola programs, uh, so that we can hear them all, and that'll be that'll be fun.
1: That'll be great.
0: Yeah. Um, do you have any thoughts on some of the other people in the cast? Uh, Doodles Weaver, for instance.
1: Yeah, yeah, Doodles. I, I, I met him. He was a guest on my show once. Yeah, he he he, he was he was very funny, but he could also be very serious.
0: I didn't, I didn't realize he was on your show. I guess I missed that one, but yeah, I, I knew him too. I recorded a bunch of interviews with him, and some of it was interesting and funny, and others of it was quite depressing because he would go off onto all these kind of depressing things, and he wound up committing suicide, I believe.
1: Yes. Yeah, because after he had a heart attack, uh, he, he was quite athletic. He, he pr- participated in the Senior Olympics uh, and was still doing that when I first, met him and had him as a guest on my show. But right after that, he had a heart attack. I, I think you were the one that called and told me that Doodles had had a heart attack.
0: Ah, that could be, because I was in constant contact with him in the mid to late 70s.
1: Yeah. I, I gather, no, you knew him better than I did, uh, but I gather that he was depressed because he couldn't participate in athletics anymore after he had the heart attack.
0: Well, I think it was that, and he also w- said many times that he felt like he'd been forgotten and that nobody wanted to hire him to do anything. He put out that LP, Fetal Bomb Returns, which you used to yeah. play some excer- some pieces from that on your show.
1: Yeah, Eleanor Rigby.
0: Yes. Yeah, he did his version of Eleanor Rigby with a lady named Patty Barham. And that was basically the last thing he did. And he was selling those LPs uh, and autographing them if anybody wanted them, but he was kind of depressed that he wasn't selling that many and nobody seemed to care. So it was kind of a sad ending. Any of the other city slickers?
1: Uh, Well, Sir Frederick Gass, Earl Bennett, got to know him pretty well.
0: Okay. And what was he like?
1: Oh, well, he was
0: a painter. A painter?
1: Yeah, he was a student of Thomas Hart Benton, the famous Midwestern painter. And painted he, he did mostly landscapes, but uh, they, they were fanciful a little bit. Not not as fanciful as uh, his Sir Frederick Gass' character. But, uh,
0: <laughs> did you ever meet Spike?
1: No, I never did.
0: Because he was playing apparently at Disneyland in the mid-60s before he passed away, but I was yeah. a little bit too young for that.
1: Yeah, and, and I was not really tuned into funny music in the 60s like I later was like I was earlier and later I was a
0: blues hound. In the Aha, yes, we know that. So you yeah. went you, you went from funny stuff when you were young into the blues and then came back to it with the Dr. Demento show.
1: Yes, that's right. The Dr. Demento show actually did not start out to be entirely comedy music.
0: That's what I remember.
1: Yeah, the name Dr. Demento was hung on me just uh, without without my consent by another disc jockey at Kppc of uh, the late obscene Stephen clean uh, <laughs> he he just introduced me on the air one day as dr. Demento and it stuck
0: <laughs> wow what year was that do you know
1: 70 1970, 1970. 1970
0: okay yeah. and then you went on Kmet in what year
1: uh I moved over to Kpp Kmet in 19 right at the end of Christmas 1971, that's when it was.
0: Okay, because I remember my earliest memory of listening to your show was about 1972,
1: so. Yeah, so, but I was on KPPC, uh, which was real Underground FM. Uh, They uh, changed formats uh, in in October 1971.
0: Okay, and that sent you over to KMET.
1: Yes, right.
0: And you remained there for quite a long time, and then yeah, went syndicated
1: till '87. And in the meantime, I was picked up for syndication by uh, first a company called Gordon Cassidy Incorporated, and then by the Westwood One Radio Network, which was became the uh, major syndicator of radio features in the United States. Right, and and I helped them grow.
0: You helped them grow tremendously because you found yeah. a very big audience all across the United States. Yes. And now you're on um, satellite radio, correct?
1: Yeah, well,
0: it's streaming audio. Streaming audio. Okay. K- kind of yeah. what this is. <laughs> kind yeah. of what I'm doing. Okay. Yeah,
1: DrDemento.com.
0: That's what I was leading to. DrDemento.com. So, yeah. all of you uh, Dimensions and Dementites who, like me, remember the Dr. Men- Dr. Demento show from way back when, whatever time period that was, but in some cases it's a long time ago, you can still yeah. hear the good doctor drdemento.com. Yeah. and you do yeah, an,
1: we have, have 2000 episodes of right. the show
0: so you can uh, go back and listen free. to 2000 episodes
1: yes Yeah. <laughs> for, for a small fee we we need to charge a <laughs> small
0: fee for a small fee that's okay yeah. i'm sure it's well worth it um, yeah. and, and you do a new show how often
1: uh, every every weekend every
0: weekend that's what you i thought can
1: hear right? it. you can hear it at any time any time you you Tune in, so to speak, or dial in, whatever you do on a computer.
0: However you find it on your computer, yes. I yeah. have the same problem describing to people how they find mine. Yeah. Okay, well, DrDemento.com, for those people who are listening to this and are, are happy to hear the good doctor on this show and can find him on his own show, still out there after 50 years. Isn't this amazing? Yes. Yeah, you too. Yeah, you've become old radio.
2: Yes, <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah.
0: It wasn't old radio when I was a kid listening to you, but it's old radio now.
1: Yes, but but still new radio. I play new things all the time. Right,
0: right. You're not just playing Spike Jones and all that. You 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 work those in every now and then. But you're also playing anything that uh, you think is. Uh, worthy of going on your program in any kind of novelty or comedy format, right?
1: No, of course, I'm probably best known now as the guy who discovered Weird Al Yankovic.
0: And and well, you should be because I love Weird Al too. I think he's he's picked up uh, where Spike Jones and all those guys left off and brought it to a new generation and you're responsible for that too. So thank you. Yeah.
2: Thank you.
0: You're welcome. You're very welcome. Okay. Well, great. So we are going to wrap up this particular episode of the Good Old Days of Radio Show by thanking Dr. Demento for joining us today. Um, He's going to join us again next Tuesday for another great comedy show, kind of uh, reminiscent of the things that he used to play way back when. So uh, I've selected a good one for that. So this is John Tefteller in the good old days of radio show. You can hear Dr. Demento still at drdemento.com and uh, I don't know how to sing your closing theme, but I'll just say Cheerio, Cheery Lips, Cheerio.
1: Okay. Don't forget to stay
2: better. De-
0: Thank you, Dr. Demento.